Okay, turn, if you would, to the book of John. Book of John. Does anybody besides me find it difficult sometimes to understand what's being said in the Bible? <laughs> what in the world is going on here? I mean, we can look up the words, what they mean, and we can try to put them in order, and we can dig them out, you know. But to get the real meaning of what's going on takes consideration, prayer, even instruction by someone who has seen things before. That's Those are all functions of uh, the people of God in the church, and we should also seek understanding by God himself. Yeah. Uh, and that should be where we start. Anytime you study, that's where we start. Still at other times, it seems like meaning is plainly given by God in the text if we're careful enough to see it. Okay? It's right there. And what I, with this in mind, a lot of times, you know, the, like you see those, uh, those pictures that if you stare at it long enough, an image will pop up. Who's ever seen one of those? Anybody good at that? I'm not good at that. But if you get real close to it and really narrow your eyes about it, you can't see a thing. But when you step back, I mean back, and just kind of relax and say, okay, what's going on? Then then you're like, wow, there's the boat. You know, there, There's the picture of whoever. Well, tonight we're going to start a journey through the writings of John. This is John the Beloved, John the Revelator, and formerly one of Boanerges, the Sons of Thunder. Okay, so John, if you look at John different ways, there are different ways that you can see John, but he's one man. So tonight, when, you, when we talk about a thousand-yard view, tonight we're going to cover the Gospel of John, the three letters of John, and the book of Revelation. I know, right? <laughs> I, saw, I saw big eyeballs pop up. But again, in each of these writings, we're going to take a step back. John is very careful in all of his writings to tell us exactly what we need to know. He's very careful about it. And if you can picture and you can get a hold of what John says, then go back and read the whole writing, then everything just makes sense. It's life-changing. Okay? We're going to do a brief overview of all these writings, and then as we get to them, we're going to go through these writings of John. Now, when we go, we're going to start in the, in the Gospel of John. And again, we're not going to strain at every word, but we're going to take that step back. And I'm going to use the word survey. Take a survey. What's, if we were standing on the mountaintop, we would say, okay, there's a river, there's a high place, there's a place they could attack us. You know, if you're surveying a land to build, that's what you would do. Well, we're taking the distant survey view of these books to get, in a nutshell, if you had to explain it to a man on the street, what do these books mean? That's what John's doing for us. He explained it to the man on the street, to the everyday person, to the person who finds it difficult sometimes to, to know what's going on. And as we approach it this way, we won't have to try as hard to dig deeper. Does that make sense? We'll have a, we'll have a sharpened shovel and we can, we can do that work. Okay? So, we're starting in the Gospel of John, and 
And before we, need, we start in the Gospel of John, we need to know who wrote it. So there's some controversy who wrote everything. And, and I think as we put these pieces in together, it makes a lot of sense. Okay? So if you were to read the Gospel of John, you would know that there, the, whoever wrote it referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? The disciple whom Jesus loved. John chapter 13 if you want to look there, John chapter 13, we're going to put a couple pieces together and know assuredly that it, that it is John. John chapter 13, the beloved John of, of that inner circle. John 13, verse 23. Now there, was, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom he loved. So straight down, boom, you're at uh, the 12 minus 1 because Judas skedaddled, right? He would. So we're down to the 11. So it's one of those. Okay. Chapter 19 and verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. So we can immediately also count out most of the disciples. There's only a few disciples who would even dare come near. Okay. Specifically, we're down to James and John because, you know, Peter took off and so did everybody else. So it could be James, it could be John. We know that this man who wrote the epistle of the, uh, the um, Gospel of John was also that one in John chapter 21 and verse 20. As they were running to the tomb, then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper. So it's the same guy. So it's either Peter, it's either James or John that beat him there uh, to, to the uh, graveside. And also, chapter 21, verses, uh, verses 24 and 25. This is a disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things. And we may know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that every, even the world itself could not contain the books that were written. So this book, where whoever wrote it, it was written by either James or John. And it was also written at a later date, about the same time that the epistles 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written. Okay? Now, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he, he doesn't give his name ever at all. But those books, again, were written at the same time as this epistle. They were written uh, about 40 years, estimated, after James died. And they were written with a first-hand account of the things that happened with Jesus. So we logically come to John, don't we? It has to be John. The disciple whom Jesus loved was part of that inner circle, and you can read that and go back and read that. And there's other places outside of the Gospel of John, uh, such as in Mark, if you look at in, in Mark chapter 1. We're establishing here that John wrote these books. Okay, So you don't have to memorize all these texts, but I want your mind calm that John wrote these texts. In, John, in Mark chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, And he saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that there... Uh, there shall be uh, some of them that stand here which shall not taste death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them. Again, Peter didn't write John and James was dead already. Okay, 
Mark chapter 14. And why is it important that we talk about an inner circle? Were these people loved more than the rest of the apostles? Big, big no. Can God love some more than he loves others? I, I surely hope not. I, he loves with a perfect love. So Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And they came to a place, 14 verse 32, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I, while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and be very heavy, or express himself, be vulnerable with them. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. So, it doesn't say it specifically there that he, the, the disciple whom he loved was there, but you can see that uh, they cared more for Jesus, and Jesus showed them more, both through transfiguration and in his prayer there. Again, not that Christ loved them more, but they had more outward showing of, of his, their appreciation toward him. So before we move forward, let's ask ourselves this question, and I ask myself this question. Would we, would you as an individual be considered part of the inner circle today? Are your affairs Christ-minded? You know, the, the reason they say the inner circle is because if Jesus went over there, Peter, James, and John are saying, hey, Jesus, where are you going? You know, they, they were right there. They were about the business of Jesus Christ. So would we be considered as part of the inner circle? Is your desire to be where Jesus is, is your desire to understand the things Jesus talks about, is your desire to love the things that Jesus loves. That's, that's where they were. So again, not Peter, and it's not James. Um, Peter, John, knowing a little bit about the man, if you look in, uh, in Matthew, see, John didn't write about himself. He didn't find it necessary. So we look at Matthew to learn a little bit about the man John, and we're going to dig in deeper again as we go through. But again, we, we need to know who this man is. Matthew chapter uh, 4 and verse 21, And going from thence, he, Jesus, saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So we know immediately that he was a fisherman and that he was a common man. He was obedient to his father. He was no doubt a good worker, a good strong man. Uh, but he was a bit of a roughneck, too, being a fisherman. We know that if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the people, when they saw these people speaking in tongues, and they say, how is this possible? Are these people drunk? You know, these are nobodies. These are low-level education men, and they're teaching great things. He was a common man. He was a rough man. Again, as we, as we have already indicated, that he was Boanerges. He was a son of thunder, meaning that that whenever he saw some people doing some things, uh, he said to Jesus, Lord, we got to handle this. we gotta, we got to get this going. So he was a very stern man that was converted to being a man of, great, uh, of a greatly tender heart. So the work of God was in this man, but he, he did start out as a, as a thunderous man for the things of, uh, things of God. He was a man affected uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and that is the reason he writes these things to us. So now as we dig in to these, uh, to these letters, these writings of John, again, he tells us straight up front uh, what his writings are all about. John chapter 20, and uh, if you turn into that passage there, he tells us uh, exactly what the entire gospel of John, if you could summarize it, he summarizes all of his writings. 
John chapter 20 and verse 30. Here is the summary of the book of John. So if you if you have your your uh, your text in front of you, flip back to to John chapter 1 and write. If you write in your Bible, write John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. That's your summary. Before you read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before you read that, you should understand what the purpose of this text is. Okay? The purpose of this text, and we will read it, and put, everybody put your eyes on it, if you would. The purpose of the text of the Gospel of John is this. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here you go, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That this man, who this whole book about, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament principle that a sacrifice by substitution must be made in the place of sin. Okay, that this man, Jesus, is the Christ. He is salvation. He is Lord. He is accepted by the Father. The Son of God. Okay, other people say that the uh, that specifically that that John does an elaborate work of, and he does of declaring Jesus as the Son of God. But in believing that, it says, and that believing ye might or may or would mightily have life through his name. Okay? That's the, that's the summary of the book of John. So John, the gospel there, is a great evangelistic work. So everything you see Jesus doing in this book is done that you would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and through believing that you would have eternal life. When Jesus has his discourse with Nicodemus, it's that you would believe that he is the Christ, and believing you would have eternal life. When he has his discourse on the seashore there, in John chapter 6, very well-known passages, it's that by the power of God, a sinner would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have eternal life. Okay? Well, that breaks it down pretty simply. It almost oversimplifies the whole book. So any time in this gospel when we don't know what's going on, we got to come back to this very basic principle. I think it's wonderful. There are signs of Jesus being the Christ. There are signs all over. There are signs and they're written sufficient for God Almighty to draw a sinner to repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. So then, if all we had was the gospel of John and a fundamental understanding of the Old Testament, we, we could come to these conclusions. That God with us, Jesus Christ, is that Son of God and brings eternal life to His people. And again, if we were to do that, uh, go back to that first verse. I want, uh, we've, we've read it, we've memorized it, I've stated it, but look at that again. In the context, if, if we're to, knowing these things are written, that we would believe Jesus is the Christ. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Christ. Yeah. Okay? So he is not only Jesus, the man who saves his people from their sins. He is not only the Jesus that walks on water. He's not the Jesus that said, I am the bread of life. He's not the Jesus that condescended. But he is the almighty God. Amen. You see? And being the almighty God, he is indeed the son of God. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So not only is, is He the Son of God, He's God Himself in the flesh. Amen. And knowing that, you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. So God Himself became flesh, becoming the Christ, the Son of God. And believing that, you know, he had, you, you might have eternal life through His name. I think it's wonderful. Amen. And everything we look at through the Gospel of John is going to bring us to that same conclusion. John, the epistles, and we're just giving a brief overview at this time, and we're going to really dig into these things as we go along. John, the writer of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. 1 John has five chapters. 2 John and 3 John only have one. But I tell you what, as we get into these writings, they're no less action-packed. There's a lot for us to get out of these writings. 1 John... 1, 1 indicates, it tells us, if I can get there, indicates that one of the immediate disciples of Christ wrote this letter. And again, it brings it back to, it, it must have been uh, John, it cannot be Peter or James, given the time and given the, the, where these things were written, it must have been John. John pastored, at least for a short while, at the end of his life in Ephesus. So I don't know if you all knew that, but he did. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. So he dates himself at the, at the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, which we have seen with our eyes. So he, he puts his eyeballs on Jesus Christ, yes. which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. So he, he gives himself a first-person account of touching the word of life. He calls him of the word of life. For, he, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show, you, uh, show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So knowing that, 2nd and 3rd John were written by the elder. If you look at 2nd uh, John, verse 1, it says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. Oh, excuse me, that's 3rd John. 2nd John says, The elder unto the elect lady. 3 John says the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. Same writer, same time period, from the same area. He's also written in, uh, it comes with the same tones of love as in 1 John, and the same tones of love that come from the gospel itself. 1 John chapter 5. You want to know what the, the uh, summary is? Of 1 John is, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that, that believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay? So first of all, if you're reading 1 John and you have not you do not believe in the name of the Son of God, and that going back to the Gospel of John, you do not believe unto eternal life, then these things in this book are not a confirmation for you. Okay, But the things written in this book are for those that believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, unto salvation. This, this book is written to saved people. Yeah. Okay, So when folks turn to 1 John chapter 2 and read verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, he's writing to those who have tasted eternal life by the work of Jesus Christ who know they are the children of God. And not for our, the world without exception. Because they keep reading and say, not for ours only, 
but the sins of the whole world. Okay? Well, what does that mean? Verse 7 says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. Who had the commandments from the beginning? The Jews. So when he says, not our sins only, but the sins of the whole world, that goes back to what he said in John chapter 3. Right? For God so loved the world. Not every single person without exception, but every type of people without uh, distinction. So the same kinds of tones there are written. Okay? So when he says in chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I, John, written unto you, believers, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye, believers, may know that ye have eternal life. Again, that's a confirmation for those who have professed salvation. As we dig into 1 John, there are many people who profess salvation and they don't have any of the critical elements and 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 um, examples, outward behaviors of someone who has eternal life. Okay, we know specifically in chapter chapter four, if someone doesn't have love, love for the brethren, love for the word of God, and love for God Himself, and and desires to keep the commandments of God, they're not a child of God. They're just not. He says, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Well, wait a second. I thought they were already believers. They are. That they would put it into practice. Believe. Spelled A-C-T-I-O-N. You know, believe by action. Confirming believers in the knowledge of eternal life through Christ. That is the aim of 1 John. 2 John, verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children. Some people suppose that this is a dear female friend of John. I do not. I believe this elect lady is is a, a local assembly that John is writing to. Why do I believe that? Because through the uh, through First John, he's not writing to a particular local assembly, but he is calling them his children. Okay? Why is he calling them his children? Because they are his underlings, if you would, those that he is bringing along in the faith. So while he does not call anyone the elect lady in 1 John, he does recognize that there are children, as in 1 John, in 2 John, and that elect lady are those who are the children in, in, that, in that respect. So we'll say it like this. In this assembly... The Sovereign Grace Baptist Church of Silsby, Texas is the elect lady of Silsby, Texas. Okay? And each one of you members is a child of that elect lady. Right? And in the context, I am the elder of the elect lady in Silsby, Texas, and you are the children. Now, also in proper context, I am a child under the authority of the elect lady. Does that make sense? Please raise your hand if it doesn't. Okay. It's questionable there, Brother Adam. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the elect lady. So what do we get out of that? Well, first of all, John cares very much for church principles and church, church uh, the existence of the Lord's church. He cares very much for it. Okay, to the point where he gives it a very prestigious de- designation, the elect lady. Elect by who? You know? If it was elect by him and, and it was a love interest or some kind of familiar female he had, then, then that, that brings a whole new context to, to 2 John. But if we say the elect lady is elect 
in the Lord, which I believe is what he means, then the children of that elect lady are also elect and the children of God, which are the children under her protection. And we are all children of God that believe, but we're all under the authority of the elect lady of Silsby, Texas. So, what does he have to say to the elect lady? Like I said, uh, he's church-minded here. Verse 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, church, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Okay? And this this is love. Not that we know his commandments. You see that? But that we walk after his commandments. So he's encouraging godly living in the church. This is the commandment that ye have heard from the beginning. Ye should walk in it. Verses 8 and 9. Look to yourselves that we may lose not those things which we have wrought or worked. What would we lose? Those works of love. Right? Examine yourselves, he's saying. So he's provoking in this, this little bitty epistle, this bitty, little bitty epistle means letter. I don't know if you knew that or not. When, you, when I say epistle, it's letter. This little, and where it says a second epistle of John, it's the second letter of John. When he's writing this letter, he's provoking them to love and good works, which is exactly what we're provoked to do in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, right? Love and good works. That we may lose nothing that we have robbed, but that we receive a full reward. So he's, he's looking after them and their crowns and rewards, those types of things. Whosoever transgresseth or sinneth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, what's the doctrine of Christ? Love toward uh, God, love toward the brethren. Amen. First John, uh, or Second John, rather, verse nine. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Excuse me, let me back out. Back Whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth, sinneth, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. That's plain. Whoever doesn't love God and keep His commandments, whoever doesn't love his neighbor and show it, hath not God. God help us. There are many times that that we don't do that. There are many times that I don't do that. The method of our lives ought to be doing these things. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ or in love toward God and love and toward his neighbor, he hath both the Father and the Son. So there's no middle ground there. That's why John takes such care to say, look to yourselves. Examine. The elect lady and the children, again, and he encourages believers to walk in love, and he says unbelievers won't. They can't. Third John. Okay, so we saw that overview. Again, first John, he says, I wrote these things that you would know you have eternal life. Second John, he says, believers, walk in love. Walk in the doctrine of Christ. Third John, he says, believers, uh, walk in truth. Okay? And that's not a separate thing. That's the same thing, but saying it differently. Third John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. His children are those that have believed through his ministry. Okay? And when he reads that, also know that your pastor can say the same thing. I have no greater joy than those people that I pastor 
and that I'm the under-shepherd to, walk in truth. Okay? That doesn't say believe truth. That says walk in truth. There's a difference. Okay? I can know how to have a good diet and exercise, but if I don't walk in that and behave that, then what good is it? Right? You'll know them by their fruits. That's what Jesus said. And John was right there when he said it. So look at verse 11. So he says in verse 4, walk in truth. Verse 11, beloved, follow not that which is evil. So there's two things in 2 John, or 3 John rather. Walk in truth, get out of evil. And again, there's no middle ground. But that which is good, he that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Again, John is loving, John is caring, but John doesn't pull punches either. And no doubt when he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he knew that there were unsaved people that were going to hear these letters. But these simple proofs are valuable as we look through the, the discourses of John here, the, the writings of John. Again, there's not very many verses in 2 John or 3 John, are there? But we'll know when we go through these epistles in time that they're very provoking. And there's not several when he says, Beloved, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. How many different version, versions of truth are there? Gary, Brother Gary, how many versions of truth are there? One. So we're to walk biblically in the truth and not in evil. So now we come to John the Revelator. Same guy. Book of Revelation. It says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and John tells us plainly. I mean, he's you can see the excitement in the book of Revelation. He tells us in in and the, the Gospel of John, it's almost the end of the book before he tells us. In 1 John, it's almost the end of the book. And in 2 and 3 John, those are short books, so it's right there basically in the middle. But in Revelation, he, he takes no time to tell us. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Boom. Jesus Christ is first and foremost. If we start reading through the book of Revelation and trying to find a purpose and what does this mean and what does that mean and take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, you've missed it. Okay? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants, here it is, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So he stresses urgency to his servants, his people. And he sent and signified or stamped it by his angel unto his servant John. He declares the clear purpose. He elaborates through verse 8. Who, John, bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. So we see verse 1, God's purpose toward men. Now we see in verse 3 the responsibility of men who read it. The believers, the servants of God, not to the world at large, but the servants of God. This is what we're to take from it and do with it. Blessed is he that readeth it. Okay? It doesn't say you've got to understand everything in it. But he says you do have to read it. 
and they that hear the words of prophecy. Again, that doesn't mean you have to understand everything in it, but you do have to believe it. Why would we believe it? Because he that testify is true and faithful. Amen. Okay? You have to read it, you have to hear it and believe it. The words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, if you start getting into chapter 4 through chapter 22, the end of the book, there's nothing in there that a child of God can keep in this present day. It's all future things. So chapters 2 and 3, specifically written to the Lord's churches, are things that we need to be doing. So what does that tell you? It's a logical thing to know that the servants of God just shouldn't probably be in the Lord's assembly, but are, are living sinfully if they're not. You see, because these, these things that he told us to do are written to the churches with their authority that Christ gave them and not outside of that. So if someone wants to be uh, profitable in the book of Revelation, they must be profitable in the Lord's church and desire to serve him there. But continue reading. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which, him which is and which, it, which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which stand before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's a declaration of the greatness and the person of Jesus Christ. And have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, the Jews, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. This is Christ speaking. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Again, that's a declaration of the person of God. But you see in these things the urgency toward the believer. That the believer is to read, to hear and believe, and keep the things in this book testifying of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The imminent return. Yeah. That means he could come any second. That's right. So, knowing all that, chapter 22, verse 10 of Revelation. 22, verse 10. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of this prophecy. So you've, you've read it, you've heard it, you keep it, and now don't seal it up. What's that mean? Broadcast it. The sayings of this prophecy, of this book. For the time is at hand. So the time is at hand, 2,000 years ago, what is it today? The time is at hand. So, we've backed up and we've seen that 1,000 yard view of the writings of John. In summary, the works of John, please, if you like, in each one of these books attributed to John, Go back and write the, if you haven't already, if you didn't as you went along, the summary of each book. Again, again, I'm going to give them to you again here. And we're just going to list them. In John, the summary of the book of John. 
the beloved. John chapter 20, verse 31, or 30 and 31. I'm going to read them. 20, verse 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did uh, Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. It's an encouragement to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and having been saved by the work of God, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you, he says, that believe on the name of the Son of God. You may know that you have eternal life. It's a confirmation of the believer. And you may believe or perform those things by belief on the name of the Son of God. That you behave like the children of God. Again, 2 John, verse 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So he, he encourages the believer to love one another again in the church. Third John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Verse 11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he that heareth, and they that hear the, readeth, and, and they that, uh, blessed is he that readeth, and, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. There's a, command, a commendation to believe the gospel, there's a commendation to, to uh, live lives that are orderly, and and walk after things of righteousness, and there's a call to urgency of the believer, knowing these things shall surely come. Everything else just revolves around that in these books. Okay, everything, all the lessons of these books come back to those principles. So, child of God, you uh, profess to believe. As we go through these books, there should be confirmations of that belief. There should. If you've believed in the mind or have believed in vain, but, not ha but have not believed by the work of the Spirit of God, the works of John will seem foreign to you. And I say that because from the there's always been deception. And I don't want to create doubt in anyone's mind. But there's a possibility that perhaps you've believed in vain, that it's been a work of your own conscience rather than the work of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you, as John wrote, to look unto yourselves and make sure that these things are uh, are convincing, that they can they're, they're convincing with your spirit and testify that you are a child of God. There's also several stimulating passages. Uh, I have not arrived, you know. So when he talks about love, I'm not the most loving person in the world. I need to grow in that, right? And so I believe we all do in different things. Some of us need to grow in some things more than others. So there should be stimulation in these writings. That's why he wrote them. Because the believers he wrote to needed stimulated. He didn't, he didn't write to unbelievers. He wrote to believers to stimulate them in love and good works. These writings were written in love 
And as far as I'm concerned, they're priests in love. They might not seem like that way, but, but they're priests in love. And we also must understand that in all these things, in, in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, that the time is at hand, that we're supposed to love one another and, and know, confirm that we're believers because the time is at hand. We're supposed to walk in truth because the time is at hand. You see? We're supposed to avoid evil because the time is at hand. Children of God. Each one of these writings has a sense of urgency. When John is writing, in his writings, you can tell that he is urgent. That the reader would believe what he's saying. And we should take them urgently. We should take them urgently, as in the gospel, that that we should believe without delay. As in the first letter of John, the first epistle, that we would know we have eternal life without delay. That we would, the, the third epistle of John, that we would love the truth and walk in it in the church today without delay. In the third epistle, that we would not follow evil, but follow in the truth of God without delay. And in the Revelation, that we would re- read, hear, and keep the things of Christ without delay, for the time is at hand, urgently. You see? Sinner. Christ's mes- uh, John's messages are Christ-centered. You see? They all are. And you could understand these things in the mind. But if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, and not just that He's the Christ, but He's the Lord's Christ sacrificed for you, then you're unsaved. And it doesn't matter how much you understand everything else, you cannot understand it perfectly because you have not experienced that work of God in you. You can't know you have eternal life if you don't have eternal life. You can't walk in love if you have not experienced the love of God. You cannot uh, refrain from evil and follow not evil because your heart and mind is on evil continually. And your heart is deceitful. And you can't, you, while you can read, you can't hear or believe or keep the things of Christ because you're none of His. Not as we know it. Again, the encouragement is that as we read these things, that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He is the Christ. This Jesus that we speak of so regularly, He's real. He's really real. And these things that are spoken by the power of God, we, I pray, it's my prayer, that God would make you a new thing, that He would cause you, that He would draw you to Himself in salvation by the Holy Spirit, that He'd point you to Christ. I look forward to digging into this, uh, this series on John. I, I hope that now that we've stepped back a little bit, that these things, do they make, do they make sense at all? Do they make more sense? You feel like you could explain it to somebody what these things are about? Good. Well, I look forward to going forward. Again, we don't want to strain so hard we forget what we're looking at. May the Lord bless the preaching and the study of His Word. We're going to be in the Gospel of John for a while, so if you want to spend some extra personal time studying the things in the Gospel of John, I feel like it would be profitable. But when you do... Before you open John's Gospel, read John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Go back there. May the Lord bless.